You're listening to Storytime for Travellers, where adventurers share their craziest travel moments. Welcome to the first ever episode of Storytime for Travellers. I'm your host, Evangeline Modell, and I'm so excited to have you here at the very beginning of this weekly podcast. As it's the launch day, we're releasing three episodes all at once with three awesome travellers telling some of their incredible stories from their trips. As this is episode number one, I have the most amazing guest for you guys. This man holds the Guinness World Record for being the youngest person to visit every country in the world. That's 196 countries. Crazy, right? Now, before I tell you more about the lovely James Asquith, let me introduce to you a little bit more about what Storytime for Travellers is all about. When I'm travelling, my absolute favourite thing is always the people that I meet and the stories that they tell me. Not the big things like where they've been or where they're going next, but the tiny moments, the anecdotes, the crazy, unexpected experiences that make for amazing stories. These are the moments that stand out in your mind when you come back home, the ones that you laugh about with your friends at the pub and they look at you and say, no, that can't really have happened. But if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know that it's impossible to travel without collecting these stories. So really, this podcast is just a place for us all to share them. Now, back to our guest for this episode, James Asquith. James was just 24 years old when he completed his world record for visiting every country in the world. His dad was a pilot, so he started travelling young, but he didn't really catch the bug until he was on a gap year with friends in Vietnam building houses. And it's safe to say things escalated. While completing a degree at the London School of Economics, he continued to travel, and over the next five years, he made it to every country in the world. In our conversation, we chat near-death experiences, being in North Korea and sleeping on a runway, plus loads more. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, welcome to the first ever episode of Storytime for Travellers. I'm super excited because I'm joined in the studio with the lovely James Asquith today. So welcome to the podcast, James. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. I think when it comes to travel stories, safe to say you probably have more than most. Uh, yeah, there's been a there's been a couple over kind of the last seven eight years of uh, of travelling. So uh, a few good ones, uh, not too many bad ones, thankfully. So that's always good to hear. Um, so the first thing I wanted to ask you is, have you got a story about something that's happened that no one believes back home? So the craziest, most extraordinary thing that's ever happened to you. Craziest. Uh, there's a couple. Um, it's always kind of depends on the day which one comes to mind first. Um, I remember actually being in the Middle East, and I'm not going to say which country um, because it's not a story I've like really spoken about too much. But I met a guy that was coming back from. He was a marine. He's coming back from Afghanistan at the time, and like two days before, he had just been mugged on his way back from Afghanistan. And we were down an alleyway, and I remember it was one of two times in my life I had a knife put to my throat and uh, and this guy stood there and there's these guys coming towards us and guys from the other side as well and 
he just keeps like mass amount of calm as you probably expect from someone that's trained as a marine and uh, and this guy's a knife against my throat and he's asking for all of our money wallets etc and uh, and with a knife against my throat this marine guy next to me named Matt um, that's all I'll say uh, he literally just floors the guy just just takes him out entirely oh and looks gosh. at me and says let's go really really calmly and uh, and I'm kind of stood there thinking I'm with that guy right there but that's one of those stories where people are like really like how did that happen like was it not like you know and I wasn't necessarily over the moon about someone um, taking someone out with a knife against my throat but it was one of there's been kind of like four or five instances where it's been kind of felt life-threatening couple two guns to the head um two guns to the head. yeah two uh oh one was gosh, a handgun in nigeria when i was on a motorbike and i just didn't when you, think it was so happening. what happened did you get stopped no i was driving like along and yeah. someone just comes over like i did not believe the whole thing happened mm. so um this guy comes over and he starts shouting at me and he has a handgun pointing at me yeah and i just start laughing I, I was like, is it a joke? Like, I don't know what's happening. Has he got, is he on a bike? Next no, 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 he's just stood. Like, we're driving yeah. to, this was when I, I drove a motorbike from um, from Lagos to Port Harcourt. And, uh, and yeah, this random guy just is, is waving a gun at me. And I'm like, surely not. It's like the middle of the day. Yeah. And uh, and he's, he's getting more and more angry, irate. And I just kind of like start driving off as the traffic moves up, thinking this is fine. And then the other one was coming back from Afghanistan into Uzbekistan, which was like full on AK-47. Um, oh but that was actually were like, they mugging you in that situation no or? well yes and no that was uh, let's call it official extortion um, in that situation that was the the army that was demanding my stuff at that point oh my god and did so, you yeah. kind of were you with other people were you kind no, of no all of those uh, apart from the, the, the one in, in the Middle East was uh, the others I was by myself yeah um, and, and I guess I was just like really naive like I was when I first started the travelling and uh, I think now I probably think not just twice but three or four times about some of those situations whereas then I, I kind of had this idea of thinking oh like I'll be fine like I'll get myself out of any situation and uh, and kind of just go along with a bunch of YOLO and, uh, and yeah <laughs> a bunch um, of YOLO when you've got a and, and, and here I have I guess just about made it yeah so were you kind of trying to remain calm did you did you surprise yourself at how calm you were in those situations because it seems like you were kind of you just didn't believe they were actually happening afterwards yeah because mm. I, again I just didn't really like compound what was happening like it just everything just happened so quickly and in really bad situations it's always the case that things happen so fast even last year I was in during the earthquake in Lombok and Bali I was there and um, in you know in, in Bali, kind of everything seems to rattle with motorbikes and traffic going everywhere. And I sat in uh, in my room, and uh, the windows start rattling. And I'm like, ah, oh, okay, cool. And they rattle more, and I'm like, wow, that must be like a really big truck going by or something. And then the whole building starts swaying, um, oh and there were like giant cracks everywhere. And it's like 25, 30 seconds. So it's just like anything that kind of is really an extreme situation. You just never realise at the time, like, kind of what's happening. So by the end of it, I just strolled outside and I was like, well, that was actually an earthquake that I just experienced. So, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Did you, like, dive under a table or what did you do? You no, not not in that situation because I was, it, it genuinely, it was too quick to happen. But there were a bunch of really big aftershocks, like, over the next week. And, uh, and in that situation, I was, yeah, straight under a doorway or I had a desk that was, uh, that I'd parked right next to my bed just, uh, just yeah, in so case. Yeah, so you were prepared for... Yeah, I, I remember where I was as well. Everyone kind of thought, wow, this guy must be really experienced in earthquakes because I strolled out afterwards and I remember everyone starts looking at me because I looked quite calm. 
and I just took a moment and, and I actually because it doesn't sound great but I had a beer as well that I was drinking at the time so I walked outside so with my like, beer yeah I've just, just yeah. been in an earthquake yeah <laughs> I had no shoes on as well and I just strolled outside and everyone's looking like I'm some kind of I don't know um, like the manager of the situation and uh, and I kind of took that role in some way and I just started shouting at people saying what the hell do you guys think you're doing out here yeah. because there were all these slanted roofs I was like if something's going to go wrong you're in the right place for it but that's kind of a natural Again, you, you can read all you want about in those situations, get under a desk, whatever. Yeah, like what you're supposed to do. But in the moment, what you actually do could be completely different because it's so shocking. Exactly. Naturally, everyone's like, get me outside or whatever it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. And what about the aftermath of the earthquake? Did that... Did you kind of see the devastation that it caused? How did... So not too much in Bali. Um, there was a lot of devastation in Bali at the time, but the Gillies and Nombok particularly got almost flattened at the time. So uh, I remember putting my house up for people that, that needed to come there, but that was kind of as much as I could really help in the situation because I know there were a lot of travellers and stuff out there that wanted to go and head over to the, 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 the islands, essentially, um, and deliver supplies, but... It was one of those situations where it's probably causing more strain than you know you were helping with. It's just more people when you get there. So, um, you know, I was I guess lucky enough not to see the the worst parts of it. But um, yeah, it's yeah. I was actually going to ask you that leads us quite nicely on. I was going to ask you about kind of seeing the reality of situations. So obviously, having been to been everywhere, you've been to countries that people don't normally travel to, or that are more difficult to travel to. So. When you've gone to places that are kind of in conflict or with political unrest, um, has that opened your eyes to the realities of the situations in these countries? Yes, um, in some aspects for sure. I, I kind of have taken a view that a lot of what you see in the media is not necessarily... I wouldn't say not true. I'm not one of these kind of guys in a basement with a conspiracy theory, but um, but it's very different in a lot of situations. Uh, a lot of kind of where I travelled to was really bad timing. I went to Cote d'Ivoire during the civil war there, which everyone seems to have forgotten about. I remember landing and there was just gunfire that you could hear everywhere, bullet holes in buildings. When I was in Afghanistan, that was during the war there as well. Um, so some of the situations were... Were, were kind of not great timing but at the end of the day even in areas of conflict and I went to Yemen just this December just gone and I, I did some work with UNICEF out there um, it's devastating and it's awful but and this doesn't necessarily sound great to say but life still goes on um, you know everyone kind of mentions Syria at the moment and says you know the whole country is a war zone and, and it's not it's there are cities that have been flattened devastatingly but um, there's there's good and bad parts of kind of everything that you see, and obviously if it's in a war zone, the media just tend to pick up on on only the negatives. Um, what has been interesting, and what was really interesting to me in Yemen, was actually understanding the reasons behind it from people there, and just you know a, a situation where no one wants war anymore. Everyone's you know tired. It's a country that's on the brink of you know, eighty percent of the country's on the brink of famine, and it's one of those situations where people almost don't care how it started, why it started, they just want it to end. Um, and that's something that I found in general. But, you know, away from that, you know, media 
misconceptions potentially about other countries, particularly, you know, I think of Iran as one of them. Like Iran is one of my favorite countries. Really intelligent people, um, really developed. Um, you know, I, I've got a couple of really good buddies from Tehran now. And uh, and it's not kind of how you'd imagine it or how it's necessarily perceived in the media that, you know, you've got all these people that are, you know, plotting whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it, it, it depends where you go. The, the one country I probably would say that everything is very similar to how it is in the media is North Korea, which is just weird. Yeah, can you actually tell us about your experience in North Korea? Because, I mean, I doubt anyone listening has been to North Korea. <laughs> or if they have, I mean, that's cool. We'd love to hear about it. Um, but can you tell us about what that was like? Describe um, what, how you found North Korea. Weird. And also sometimes I just have too big a mouth so I don't shut up. And uh, that was probably my own worst enemy in North Korea. It's it, it's completely safe. You know, you're not going to have any issues there in terms of petty crime or anything like that. But, you know, obviously, as people know, you might have more high-level top stuff going on if you don't keep your mouth shut and um, you know it was kind of a case of going and seeing all of Kim Jong-un's childhood and his childhood home where he came as a regular North Korean and you know he's got like a Robert Bosch cooker in his childhood shack and a Samsung fridge and you're kind of like questioning is this really how it is and you know everyone believes it there and believes the hype and uh, and so it gets to a point if you question anything where you know more questions then get asked back to you by authorities or whoever it is so um, I was there for I think five days in uh, in North Korea and was kind of happy to get out it's somewhere that I it's one of the places I can safely say I'll never go back to um, purely because you know probably what I've said since and what I've written about since uh, is, they wouldn't want you back. is not is, well I mean they probably would want me back but I won't be leaving <laughs> there afterwards yeah um do you think you saw like the real north korea or do you think what they kind of let you see was their uh, kind of like mask of what the real north korea um is? good question uh a, a, i mean again it's stuff that's written in you know the press that we don't know necessarily how bad situations are and do get there um do i think i saw the real north korea yes um but that is, in my opinion, what the real North Korea is perceived to be, even to the people there. You know, everything is great. And um, it, everything, you might think that kind of in the West and uh, how we're showing North Korea, it's a facade, essentially. But I wouldn't necessarily say that is just to us. I think that's even within North Korea. There's just a big facade to the people there of how it is. And again, from what I saw, it was... It wasn't bad, like there wasn't, you know, kind of, and I was begging on the streets and, uh, you know, it's a communist country, people get fed something, for example. Um, it, it's just, uh, I mean, it's not the kind of place that I'd go to and live. It, it, it's, it's a difficult one to kind of explain. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's not real life, but that's the reality, I guess. It's really interesting to see somewhere like that, especially because it's so different and kind of mind boggling to us but amazing that you actually got to go and see it yeah, um, I'd suggest you go if you, uh, <laughs> if you get a chance I would love to I feel like that would be just a, a really incredible experience it, it is it, it's they, interesting yeah definitely now talking of interesting experiences on the Storytime for Travellers podcast we ask all of our guests to share a pinch me moment so a pinch me moment is a moment where you look around and you just think wow and it's just a split second moment where you're like, I can't believe that I'm seeing this. So can you tell us about a pinch me moment on one of your trips? Uh, one pinch me moment. So um, there was 
one of my favorite regions in the world is the South Pacific. I just love the variation of all the islands out there. And there was one place called Kiribati that I went to. Um, and it is, so when I went out there, it was really confusing as well because they had the international date line that split like down the middle of countries like Tuvalu, Kiribati, Samoa. And for some reason, some genius decided at the time to kind of schedule all these flights between them at about 11 p.m. And they're about two hour flights. So essentially some flights arrived plus two days because you went over midnight and over the international dateline. Anyway, that's just a side note. I just found it pretty cool. <laughs> but um, now they've moved the international dateline, so they're all in the same place. However, Kiribati is the most furthest eastern country. So it's the first country in the world to see the sunrise. They even have the sun rising on their flag. Um, and in the year 2000, they got a load of people spending loads of money going all the way out there just to see the sunrise um, when they thought the world was going to suddenly evaporate into nothing. I don't oh, know what yeah. they thought. Oh my gosh, but, I forgot about that. <laughs> um, yeah, can you imagine the disappointment you spent yeah. so much money and you turn around and think, oh, that was... The world didn't end. Could have gone on an all-inclusive <laughs> to Mexico. Um, so, yeah, I was out there and just one random morning I woke up and went to literally the very furthest eastern beach of the only, well, the first inhabited island in the world and, uh, and watched the sunrise and there was kind of this moment where I looked both sides down the beach left and right and there's not a single person and I kind of had that moment where I thought wow I'm actually the first person in the world to watch the sunrise today which was kind of uh, nice and it gets onto the whole I guess debate in terms of do people like travelling by themselves or you know, in a group and stuff but that's one of those moments where I'm kind of quite happy just to keep that as, as mine. Yeah, that solitary moment. I think if there's going to be a pinch me moment, that's definitely one of those. It's definitely you, up there. And lots of people actually say that their pinch me moments are by themselves, and definitely that is a debate. Is it better to be with people and share those experiences? But I think some of the experiences where it's solitary and it's by yourself, it can be quite magical because it's just for you. I agree. Whereas in general, I think experiences are always better shared. Also um, agree. It's, uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's actually, I don't debate. know which one I agree with now. Yeah, no, it's a hard debate. And I was going to ask you about people. So obviously you've met people from all around the world. Is there a time you've had an experience where people have been, you found people to be really hospitable or you've had an unexpected experience when people have kind of opened their doors to you and showed you their culture and welcomed you into their life? Have you found that anywhere um most of the time to be honest and kind of all you know some of the more rugged stories i guess that i touched on at the start are, are really just complete outliers and in general and it sounds kind of cliche to say in a way but um people are inherently good um and everywhere i've gone to there's always been there have been various instances where I was always invited into people's houses for dinner in Vietnam when I was out there volunteering. And um, even, you know, recently in Yemen during a during a, a famine and a, a war in the country when there's people are, are literally scrapping for food, um, people are still turning around trying to share if they kind of see you. And uh, I remember I jumped out of a, a car in Somalia as well once a bunch of years ago because I thought uh, I was being kidnapped. That's definitely a story for um, <laughs> after this one. <laughs> well, it, it's just that. I, I thought I was being kidnapped um, and I jumped out of the car and the car door slammed in my hand and this driver oh kind of stops down the road and looks back at me like I'm the weirdest person and thinks, well, what are you doing? Because it <laughs> turned out he actually wasn't. It was probably just mild paranoia in my head. But anyway, I remember from there I flew to Istanbul and my hand had blown up into the size of a balloon and, you know, you've got all these people and doctors around the hospital kind of scrimping together 
together their money to pay for the bill for like my hand wow. to be fixed um, so you know and that's not a, a one off I've had so much kind hospitality around the world and I get it now as well everywhere I, I go people are always trying to to say hey like you know here's some really cool places and uh, and it'd be great to meet or chat or whatever and just randomly as well um, I tend to find that, that people are nice yeah and is there a person that stands out in your mind uh, that's difficult because there's been so many um, one guy that I met last year called Andrew Muse is, is just a, a, an absolute inspiration to me professional winter athlete just absolutely gets on with it and um, you could chuck that guy into kind of most situations and he's the guy that you'd want to uh, want around but I just look at his take on on things and life and uh, and it's pretty inspiring because yeah sure there, there are times I guess where I might return to a place a couple of weeks back I was I went to Machu Picchu for the third or fourth time and there was kind of this moment where I, I was there and I thought Meh, that's okay I can't really see myself coming back here for a long time again just because of you know the queues and like so many more tourists and and naturally that's going to happen right um, it's still really important to, to remember and take a really good view of things and if people kind of ask me what's my favourite food my favourite beach my favourite whatever I tend not to really ever have an answer because it's really hard because everywhere is so different and you've had exactly. unique experiences in each of those places Completely. Um, and I just kind of feel like you're setting yourself up for disappointment if you say, well, that's the best. So I'd never turn around and when, when someone might say, oh, well, I'm sure you've got better pictures or whatever. I, I generally don't think, I think that's quite unhealthy to think like that. And so I tend not to. Um, and so in that sense, kind of coming back in a full loop around to the question, like that guy, Andrew Muse, he's, uh, you know, it doesn't matter kind of what he's seen or what he's done. He's still like so excited to get up every yeah, day. Yeah, great uh, person. It's the positivity. It. Exactly. The best people are the people that just have exactly. that, that passion for life and yeah. that positivity. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, you don't want sometimes completely off the scale. You know, someone that goes, oh my God, a butterfly and just like goes crazy for anything <laughs> I, in the I world. I have met people like that. That's sometimes <laughs> too much. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> you have to be sceptical of some things. For sure. Um, definitely. So the other thing I was going to ask you is about cool moments. So what's a moment that you were like, this is really cool. I feel really badass. Like what's the coolest moment that you've had? Or the coolest thing that you've done? Um, one of, like you said, you can't have the top yeah. of everything, but one of the coolest things you've done. It's difficult again. Um, I'm going to bring it back to the South Pacific again and Tuvalu, different country, um, which is a really strange... They have, like, this little propeller plane that flies once a week out there, and uh, and it feels like you've kind of gone Robinson Crusoe back in time. And you land, and I remember the person next to me kind of pointed out on the side of the runway. They're like, well, that's the jail, and it's a tent. And they say, there's only one guy in there, and... Uh, and no one works there. Uh, he's free to leave. Sometimes you see him roaming around the island, but he'll always go back home. Um, so it was just really bizarre from uh, from minute one in this country. And it's stunning. Uh, the water's super warm. Like it, it, it's just this tropical little paradise. But the like the strange thing about it is the the runway takes up about kind of half the country, and they only have one, maybe two flights a week. So once the plane leaves, everyone just uses this runway as like a recreation area. So I remember just the week that I was there, just having like drag races on motorbikes up and down the runway. <laughs> the, the whole country comes out and plays football on it. It's just so weird. And then at nighttime, which was the, the real interesting, bizarre moment, because um, it's kind of like forty. 
42 degrees centigrade there and uh, really humid most of the country drag all their mattresses out onto the runway at night time and they just sleep out on the runway um, it's like probably like the biggest outdoor sleepover in the world I guess or That's something amazing. but people do that because you get this cool breeze that comes across the runway that people don't have in their homes um, so everything about it is just so weird and bizarre and you know there's like zero regulation and n no one cares it's kind of very self-regulated and it, it works so, oh, so cool. Was there any other tourists there or was it literally just you with all of there, them? There was one, maybe. There were a couple of people that were there for work that I remember from New Zealand and Australia. I remember going and spear fishing or something. With, I was terrible at that. <laughs> um, but no, it, it really is just so remote and cut off. Uh, I, I remember reading, there's one hotel on the island and I remember it saying it's 50 metres away from the airport arrivals terminal and it, it was. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, it's just bizarre. Okay, so everyone goes out. Do they put mattresses on the on the runway? Or they just they, drag them out. They, they just, just drag, drag their mattresses out, house. and everyone lies down and like lies under the stars. Yeah, pretty that much. That must have been an amazing it, pretty, sky yeah. of stars as well. I mean, away way. from the mosquitoes. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was mm, fine. Yeah, that's another point. <laughs> uh, they don't seem to really go for me too much, so it was. Uh, it was okay. It what was... about okay? What about times when things have gone wrong or you've got lost? Have you had any moments when? Even for the most experienced traveller, things, and you definitely are the most experienced traveller, um, things do sometimes go wrong. Have you had any times when you've got lost or something? I think so. Uh, lost, I wouldn't say um, I can really remember too many. Like, I, I've, that's probably one of my biggest qualities randomly traveling to all these countries was I have a really good sense of direction somehow See, so I have the worst sense of direction I get lost everywhere I go <laughs> like even if I know the way I get lost <laughs> I, I don't know what it is but that's really served me quite well um I mean away from that it, it was in Africa and West Africa particularly um that took a lot of patience because you just expected things to go wrong. And as soon as you were kind of comfortable with that and you had a massive sense of humor about, oh, what's going to happen that goes wrong next, you kind of got to deal with it and realize that, you know, unless it was some massively tragic situation that you're probably going to be okay with it. So, um, yeah, I remember, you know, in Sudan was one of the countries and just kind of the bureaucracy there and just getting things done was... I always expected something else to go wrong, but if you could turn around and laugh about it, you, you got over it a little bit. So in Sudan, the, to get the visa into the country was hard enough in the first place. I mean, who knew that you need a visa to get out of the country as well? So I kind of turn up at the airport, the person behind the counter says, oh, you need to go and get an exit visa. I'm like, really? Exit and there's no, visa. yeah, I know, right? It's who, who knew? Um, and I've probably been to over 100 countries at this point, and, and, and even I'm thinking, I've never heard of that in my life. But um, the problem with Sudan is that no international cards work there, no international ATMs. So the cash I had was the cash I needed and there was no other way, no Western Union, nothing. So I get there and I've probably got about $100 left in my pocket and uh, have to get a taxi back into the centre, go to a, some embassy, get my exit visa, come back to the airport. I've got like an hour and a half before the flight and this person looks at me again with a blank face and says, oh, what about getting it validated? And I'm like, what do you mean? And uh, so I had to go to a different um, like ministry or something and get it validated. And at this point, I'm just kind of laughing. But this in this situation was very actually thinking I could be screwed here. So I end up going back to this other place, come back to the airport about 45 minutes before the flight. And I've got maybe $15 left in my pocket. And, um, and then with the, the most blank expression, um, this woman looks at me and she says, oh, yeah, the flight's cancelled. Um, oh and gosh. I was like, well, when's it going? And she points outside and there was a plane just like burnt out on the side of the runway. And she's like, well, that was it. Hasn't flown for the last two weeks. And you've just got to laugh. 
uh, I laughed and then I instantly went into kind of like survival mode panic and uh, and what it's I could like you're do, laughing but you want to be crying yeah there was like one other flight that day and I could actually book it like through I don't know probably $20 a minute roaming or something and I remember getting on that plane out of there and kind of sighing when I looked at uh, the cabin crew just saying thank you um, <laughs> thank because you I literally had no money to yeah. even stay somewhere that night you, you had to pay in cash so yeah, yeah I just kind of got to expect uh, what's the next thing to go wrong really yeah you've always got to be kind of open to things going wrong you can't be sure. like upset if something goes wrong when you're traveling because otherwise it ruins the experience and sometimes the joy is when things don't go to plan uh, yeah in I, general very kind of like sadistically but yeah i kind of hear you yeah it makes it well it makes the stories at least um we haven't got much time left but you've just started a business yes so i would hear about holiday swap what is it how does it work and how can people use it so uh, I guess imagine that uh, the, the best way to say it, which I hear people saying is imagine that Tinder and uh, Airbnb had a love child and that's kind of what you get. So you just match up uh, with people around the world. It's, it's you know, I guess in the functionality compared to Tinder, it's very similar. And, uh, and then it takes out the cost of what people would be paying on Airbnb. So you'd go and get hosted by people. So there's kind of an aspect of couch surfing, but not on someone's couch. You'd be staying in their room or even their house. Uh, and, and they can swap directly with you or you can just go and be hosted by them. So that's kind of the, the simple nature of it, you know, trying to do it at basically a dollar a night and um, and not having any of these high fees or essentially accommodation because I kept getting asked by a lot of people, how do you get to travel so much? People want to travel more. And I'm taking opt an optimistic approach saying, well, look, with budget airlines, it's so cheap. You can fly anywhere in Europe for like $50. And... Uh, and the kind of common consensus that kept coming back was people saying it's not necessarily the the flights, it's actually the accommodation and even hostels have become like a lot more expensive now and yeah, you know, you don't kind of want someone blowing their hair at four in the morning Yeah, as exactly. Well, so. Hostels aren't for everyone. I mean, it's great when you're young and you're a backpacker and you're on your own, but at some point you you actually want to stay in a, an apartment or a house. So also I think it's amazing because Thanks. you get to stay in someone's house or stay with them. So it's a completely different experience because yeah. you'll be with local people and exactly. they can... Exactly. I mean, I heard you talking about saying they can give you a guide of the city as well. Yes, yeah, exactly. We have that kind of built in as well. So we're just trying to essentially grow it to being an all-in-one travel app that uh, that I don't really feel like there is one at the moment. There's bits, parts of different things with the main goal of reducing the cost of travel. So, yeah, I mean, we've grown to 185 countries now and uh, it's, it's hopefully going to continue to grow and kind of make travel more accessible and cheaper for people. Brilliant. And people can download that on App Store. Yeah, it's on, on all the App Stores. It's uh, it's out there, so should be quite easy to find. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've loved hearing about your stories. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with James. He really is the loveliest, most genuine person. And I'm so grateful that I got to meet him and help share some of his incredible stories with you. If you want to hear more from James and follow his adventures, go and find him on Instagram. I have to say his posts are very funny. So that's at James Asquith Travel. And you can also check out his business, Holiday Swap, which sounds so exciting. I don't know about you, but I'm definitely giving that a go as soon as I get the chance. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget there are two more episodes available now. And after that, they will be coming out weekly. Because we are a new podcast, we need your help to get the word out. So we really appreciate you taking the time to listen and hopefully share this with your friends. If you're feeling super generous, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or 
wherever else you listen to your podcasts. It really will make all the difference. If you enjoyed, I would love it if you got in touch. You can find us at Storytime for Travellers on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Bye.